You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. reclassified in this day and age like there's there's a lot more different type of things that people can do where we can say you're a hero like for example me doing the laundry like if I want some recognition for that shit I can go and tweet about it and I'll get loads of applause and people saying like you go girl hashtag mum life and I'll be winning but like it's really important because it never stops coming guys it never stops coming there's always so much laundry and I'll keep fighting it <laughs> thank you for your support but um, in spite of this being, being the fact in this day and age, which is good, um, still when I hear the word hero, I think um, of two specific individuals in my life. Um, I think about my grandpa, David, and I think about my ex-partner's grandpa, Michael. Um, and they're two very different men, but they did share the experience of both serving in the Second World War. Now, um, that kind of uh, definition of hero, you know, a war hero, that kind of thing, it's very... It's very glam, it's very glossy, it's kind of tragic and epic, and, and I don't know if that many of us in this room can really kind of relate to that so much anymore. Um, but I do think that people who, who had that experience should absolutely be recognised for it. But I also think it's really important to uh, remember that they were people too, and they weren't just these like ripped blokes in camo going out and kicking butt. Like They were human beings who were put into sometimes impossible situations through sometimes no choice of their own, and they just did what they had to do. So while I, I absolutely acknowledge and respect they should be remembered as heroes, I also think it's really key to remember the other real stuff that happened to them too. And so this story or stories is a little bit about things that they've said that have made me understand more about that. So, um, so Michael, my ex's grandpa, he's still alive. He has, I think he's 96, still going strong, and he served in the Navy. Um, my grandpa, David, he passed away a couple of months ago, and he served in the army. He was a tank commander. And so I'm sure they had really different experiences. Um, and neither of them really spoke a huge amount about what happened to them, which is quite common um, for people from that, from that time. Um, but the stories they did tell really stuck with me. So um, Michael, for example, uh, on, the, on the day that the war was declared to be over, he was down at the harbour, kind of making ready and sort of celebrating a bit. And the Russian naval fleet was leaving... Um, and they were all kind of shaking hands and waving at each other and palling about. Uh, and he got chatting to this Russian officer who, before the ship left, gave him his special naval Russian hat, which was one of those fluffy, amazing fluffy hats with like the metal insignia on the front in sort of a badge. And his AK-47. <laughs> this will keep your ears warm and your enemies cold. So long! <laughs> Thank you very much. And, and they still have the hat in the family. My ex wears it in the winter. You'll see him around Norwich. Big bloke, kind of Irish looking with a big fluffy hat, that's him, uh, Michael's grandson. And the AK-47, I, I don't know where that went. I don't know. No, I don't know. I would tell you if I knew. I don't know. I definitely don't know. Um, and so Michael would always tell that story, which, which is uh, an interesting one, especially 
at that last part about where it went. Don't know. Um, my grandpa, um, he um, he was a tank commander, as I said, and he was him and his unit were responsible for liberating a Belgian town, kind of near the end of the war, for which he was given a medal and a, a letter of thanks from the Belgian government. Um, and he kept those um, for seventy odd years, and we found them in a little box um, when he died a couple of months ago. And we had the letter translated, and we read it out at his funeral. And so it was clearly really important to him, but he never really told that story much. Like the story he would tell was about how he was shot in the arse and invalided to hospital to recover from this wound. Um, and he just got annoyed because he was missing being away from his pals and he had this kind of guilt complex that they were out there in danger without him and he should have been there. Uh, and instead there he was laid up with an arse full of shrapnel. So he kind of made his escape as soon as he could. And then the first lift he could get um, back to Belgium was with two blokes in a jeep, um, but they were senior to him, so he didn't get a seat as such. So he found himself sat on the gearbox of an army jeep, driving over roads of an occupied country for three days with an ass full of shrapnel. <laughs> so many regrets, I'm sure, um, but you know, very noble, very noble. Um, and years later, this is a couple of years ago, so very long time later, he was quite poorly and he was in hospital. And there was something wrong with his kidneys. Um, and they decided they, they need to do an MRI scan. Now, I, I didn't know this until this time, but an MRI scanner works by creating kind of magnetic fields uh, that then can produce images of the organs inside the human body. Um, and so if you go in and you've got a piercing in that's accidentally been left in or something, it will exit your flesh by the path of least resistance. Um, so, you know, it doesn't really bear thinking about, does it? Ask for a shrapnel, MRI machine? No. Anyway, my auntie Carrie's a doctor and she kind of heard someone mention, like a nurse somewhere, that maybe he would go for an MRI scan. And so she, she went over to the desk and was like, excuse me, I've just heard that my uh, father-in-law is going for an MRI scan. Is that booked? And they were like, oh, yeah, we're just getting him ready. We're taking him in 10 minutes. And she was like, did you know he has an ask for a shrapnel? No, we did not know. We did not know that. No, we did not know that. We will find another way to fix him. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Would have been an ignoble end, I say. I really think it would have. <laughs> and a real shock for anyone who'd been in there. Um, and um, leaving that tale aside of gritty realism, um, Michael, going back to Michael, Michael's still alive. Michael's a legend. He's a sweet, sweet babe of a man. He was an English teacher for many, many years after he left the Navy and is just charming, eloquent, friendly, pally, lovely guy. Um, now, his son, so my ex's dad, lived in Germany when he was a, um, a young dad, and he had his kids there, and they raised the family there for a little bit. And he was a translator, so he was fluent in German, and his wife learned German, and they had a real community in this little German town down in Bavaria. Um, and then they moved back to England, um, but they still went every year for a holiday back to this German town. And one year they took me and also Michael, um, which was lovely, um, driving off the ferry, uh, about eight hours, I think, down through Holland and Germany to Bavaria, and Michael turns around in the front seat after the first five minutes and says, so, give me some universal truths. What, Michael? I want a nap. <laughs> anyway, he was a lovely guy and very interesting. Um, and I always had him down as this sort of sweet old bloke. Anyway, we had a lovely time in Germany, lovely ice cream, lots of really nice wine, lovely people, brilliant times. And on the last night we were there, we had dinner, and we went to a pub after dinner, and we were all just having a few beers. And there was this young German bloke who came up and sat next to Michael and he was trying to talk to Michael and he was talking a lot and it was, he was very drunk. It was quite hard to understand him. Uh, it was very loud in there. So Michael kind of politely, in that way that you do, tried to draw the conversation to a close a few times. 
and imply that this man might want to maybe go back to his friends and leave Michael to enjoy time with his family. And this chap, he was really pissed, bless him, and he just wasn't getting it. He wasn't getting the social cues. And he was going on and on and on and on. And eventually, Michael just looked at him straight in the eyes and said, I've killed better Germans than you. <laughs> time to go, Michael! It's past your bedtime! And just sort of bundled him off to bed and hoped the guy was really drunk and remember. But I think it's really important to uh, remember that um, people can be classified as heroes in this kind of um, glossy, glamorous way, but actually these people were real people too, and they're only human, and I do love them for it. Thank you. Shay Hargreaves! True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk.